You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Thank you for joining us here on The Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. If you're new and would like to know more about my bio and beliefs, make sure you check out chris-spangle.com. All my projects are there. And this is one of them. This is a segmented edition of Now Hear This, which is a radio show that I host on the weekends in Indianapolis. And it is dedicated towards nonprofits. And one of the most important functions of a free society are private institutions and organizations that dedicate time, energy, and money towards uh, people that need help. And one of the reasons that I wanted to give you this show, even though some of it is dedicated towards Indianapolis where I live, uh, it is almost all of it is relevant. And I guarantee there are organizations like it in your city that are doing some of the same functions. But what I try to do with now here, this is to give you an idea of the problem that a nonprofit is solving so you understand the work that a free society takes. And so uh, I appreciate you listening. And, you know, even if you're out of town and you find that this organization speaks to your heart, maybe find one in your local area or help out uh, the charity here in Indianapolis. This show is brought to you by Wall Plus members. You're the reason, Wall Plus members, that uh, this network is going strong, is growing every single day and offering a different vision for the world than most other podcasts and and, uh, political ideologies, really. So if you want to support the Wall Network, then you can go to joinwallplus.com, W-A-L-plus.com. Stands for We Are Libertarians. Uh, and learn all the great benefits of subscribing, like ad-free shows, early release for episodes, the full archives. There's 1,067 episodes in the feed that you're missing if you're on the main free feed. And we just want to thank all of our Wall Plus members. So without further delay, here is my conversation with a nonprofit that is working hard to work directly with people that are in need of help. I'm the new host of Now Hear This. I am the digital director for The Bob and Tom Show, local podcaster, and have worked in media and radio and politics for the last 15 years. And in my travels, I've uh, run across a great friend of mine who is our first guest here on Now Hear This. His name is Rupert Bonham of Rupert's Kids. Rupert, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful, Chris, man. And well, it's, it is a welcome sight to see you here and see you behind the radio. I love that. That's Thank so you. cool. Yeah, we've known each other a decade now. Yeah. It's, it's been a long time. Uh, met you through politics, but I have uh, been a big fan of Rupert's Kids for a long time. It's a very interesting charity. You can check out more about the charity at rupertskids.org. But let's start with uh, what is Rupert's Kids? Give us a little breakdown of what you do out there in Shelbyville. Yeah. You know, for, gosh, decades, we've been running a nonprofit showing how we take young men and women out of the detention center, teach them how to go to work, give them that sense of self-worth and work ethic, put some kind of way of making a legal living into their mind, get them to a point where they can understand going to work and taking care of themselves, and then helping them get back into the workforce. You know, instead of having them holding their hand out, asking for help, or sitting in the detention center in our pocket, just, you know, taking our money. 
we actually help them get back into society. When you've been told all your life you're a worthless piece of you know garbage, this is radio, please, and Thank you. you you know you uh, you don't really have any good self worth. You have yeah. no value. It's an amazing how how hard this world is. Rupert's kids really empowers our youth to feel and see their own worth, their own value, and their ability to not only help themselves but their their loved ones, their family, their community, and give back. And it would be a working part of society. What kind of age range are we talking? You hear kids, you're like, are you helping eight-year-olds? Or you know, yes. What's the age well, bracket? You know, our youngest right now, we our youngest uh, participant in our mentoring program is 16 years old, and we're talking about creating that 14, 15-year-old group after school. But now there is no real age limit. You know, my oldest right now is in his 30s. Mm. Uh, but we started out years ago just dealing with juveniles. But I've always said, when you're making decisions and making choices and choosing things that are not exactly right, making those those decisions that are so childish, uh, you're still a child. Even in your 20s, you're still a child. I think um, several of us made childish decisions <laughs> in our 20s. We all understand that. But, oh, yes. Uh, so when, when you're talking about mentoring and, and coming out of the criminal justice system, what are some of the offenses that you're running into? Who are some of the people that you're working with? Maybe give us an example of some of the people that you have in your program right now. You know, I've got, I've got one young man that is uh, working on becoming that next mentor. He's been in our program for years. This is a young man that at seven years old was put into the juvenile detention center for uh, uh, vandalism at seven years old and left for a few days. Uh, Every... So often, monthly sometimes, I mean, this poor kid has... Uh, now, in 25, 26 years old, he's probably got 30 or 40 charges. Wow. Um, before the kid, before we got our hands on him five, four and a half, five years ago, uh, he was a misunderstood, very violent, very angry, uh, confused young man. Had no hope of ever getting custody of his children, had no hope of ever making a legal living, of ever taking care of himself. He now is one of our uh, assistant mentors. He's got his CDL license. He's got custody of his 12-year-old son. He's paying his own way, taking care of himself, uh, and actually teaching other young men in our program how to get control of your anger. Now, for the first year that he was with us, you would look at him and say hello, and he would growl at you. (laughs) Uh, It took him a while. He still struggles in the early mornings with the social skills. But, you know, to see these young men and women, but now we're talking about just young men because our reentry program is only going to be for men. We never mix men and women under the same roof. Okay. to see these young men that have drug addictions, alcohol addictions, uh, history of violent offenses or uh, uh, thieving, and and you know the just the the crimes, the charges that are 
included when you have these addictions. Right. You know, when you don't, when you can't make that legal living, when you don't understand, you go to the illegal. But when you have the addictions of alcohol and drugs, it makes it even easier for that mind to see stealing something or taking something. Unfortunately, a lot of our addicts get caught up with other charges because of their addictions. Mm. So a lot of the people that we're dealing with not only come out with addiction problems, but then other offenses. Right. And when you've got that scarlet letter of the felony stamped on your forehead, you know, we say it's it's illegal to discriminate against housing. It's illegal to discriminate against jobs. It's illegal to discriminate against, you know, a felon. Uh, I don't know uh, how often the listeners out there have been around other felons, but oh my gosh, it is tough for them to do anything in this community. Yeah, and the cost associated with court fees and, right. and other, and you can't get a job. I mean, the, talk about some of that cycle, the economic cycle that causes recidivism. Right. When we're, we talk about justice reform and helping people get out of jail, but putting them on, you know, home detention. We don't talk about that home detention tracker that we put on their leg that costs them $15 a day. A day. A day. Wow. $105 a week, and you've never made a legal dollar in your life. Hmm. You might be 20 years old, 30 years old. Yes, you want your freedom. Yes, you're willing to accept anything to get me out of prison. But then you go home, and you have the home detention officer saying, okay, now you've got to start paying. After a few weeks of not paying, then they come to you and say, you, you're down $300, $400. I'm giving you more community service. I'm checking on you more. I'm going to drug test you more because I know you're doing something because you haven't gotten a job yet, hmm. which all costs more money. Yeah, and strains the family, which is the maybe the only family members that might have some support for them. It strains them, doesn't it? It takes it takes a toll on everyone around you. When they've got somebody with the thumb of the detention center threatening them to put them back in jail and using a stick of more community service, well, then you've got to go out and do another 10 or 20 or 30 hours of community service when you should be out looking for a job, when you should be out taking care, trying to make money instead of just giving uh because the system wants to punish you. Hmm. You know, we take a lot of things uh, for granted in our world of, with our freedoms. But when you're coming out of the detention center, you pay for your freedom. And that's why we say the poor pay more. When you can't afford buying your freedom, you sit in jail. Yeah, and I would imagine that if you're sitting in jail, you're sitting around a better class of criminal who teaches you better skills, right? One of the biggest uh, classrooms in our state is the detention center, is the jailhouse, mm. is the prison. We've got so many people just like these younger that come to me at 15, 20 years old with 10, 15 different ideas of how to make an illegal living. And not even a concept in their head of how to make a legal living. When you put someone like that in a jail cell with a bunch of other, you know, unfortunately, criminals, they will all start talking and they will tell each other how they're going to do the next crime better and how they're going to be better at it, how they're not going to get caught. There isn't the rehabilitation and the empowerment and the encouragement anymore in the detention center. It's more creating that class of citizen that is willing to live in the institution. 
So what is the process of taking someone from that uh, lifestyle to someone, like you mentioned, you know, has custody of their kids, has a job, has a path towards freedom? What do you do to help them reset their lives? What are the catalyst moments? You know, when they first walk out of the detention center, they're still in that mindset of they've got to fight for everything. Hmm. You know, in jail, if you're too weak, you get everything taken from you. Out in the community, if you're too strong, too dominant, you get everything taken from you because you're fighting. You're doing out there. The first one of the first things we do when they're walking out of the system is start showing them a gentle world. I'll try and flip that chip off their shoulder and just to upset them a little bit to show them how you have to be able to keep control of your anger. Now, I've had that. That's not always been the best thing in the world. And I've had a lot of young men very angry and women very angry at me. But then that gives us a time to talk. That gives us a chance to look at why they got so angry. That gives us the ability to show them when you lose control, no matter whether you're right or wrong, when you lose control, you're wrong. When you can't keep control of your emotions, people are going to see you as the aggressor, going to see you as bad. When you can be the one that keeps calm when everyone else around you is yelling and screaming, you have an advantage. That's just the first step, just to get that mindset of understanding not such a hard and violent world of the detention center, but a gentler world of our community. And then you start talking to them about being steady and regular, being clean and sober, being honest, being able to walk into people's houses with not having to worry about somebody picking something up, walking into the store, not having to worry about the alarms going off when we're leaving. Start showing them that, that we stand up and do what's right. And then you take them to that point of, what do you like? You right. know, you're showing them the different things. I would walk them in some place like this and show them the electronics, show them the walls, the carpeting, the furniture, the, the boards, finding out what they have interests in and then starting to show them the jobs that they can make a great living at doing just that. You're listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spengel, and we are talking to Rupert Bonham of Rupert's Kids, found at rupertskids.org. You may recognize that voice. Uh, we're, we're nearly 12 minutes in, and I have not mentioned the fact that you were on Survivor, uh, <laughs> that you're a former gubernatorial candidate. Yep. Um, you, you may recognize the tie-dye, but the big beard, the long hair, uh, that pirate that stole the shoes on that on season seven? Season seven, darn of, right. Of uh, Pearl Islands on Survivor. Uh, how much do you think uh, your your persona, your big presence, your tough look, how, how much does that combat with that chip on their shoulder when they come out of the detention center? You know, years ago before Survivor, I uh, aggressively tried to look like my participants in my program hmm. because it gives you a little more credibility. Hmm. If I would walk up to some of these places, you know, in the suit and tie, all clean cut and looking prim and proper, I would not be seen as uh, as valuable 
in their world. I would have been seen more as the the opponent, the the opposition, instead of seen as somebody just like them. Right. That's going to help them. That's going to grab a hold of them and show them how to live in this world. So I'm like you, and I'm a tough guy too, but I'm also gentle. Right. I have these characteristics. And this is how I've been able to make it. I've never worked the nine to five. I've always lived on the fringes, but I've worked for those nine to fivers. I've done this for myself and figured out how I found my world, my way, my path to making a legal living and really enjoying doing it. Yeah. So it sounds like I, I would imagine that the, the family origins of a lot of the, the population that you work with has to be really tough. And it sounds like a lot of your work is just getting them to examine other possibilities that maybe they didn't understand, weren't aware right. of. Networks, introducing them to networks of power that might get them to a different place. I mean, is that a fair assessment of a lot of what you do? Uh, that is exactly right. Being able to show them a bigger world. You know, when we were here in Indianapolis, and we're, we're I still deal in Indianapolis, but I have to say I didn't have enough money to get through all the layers of administration to create the housing that I've been able to create in the smaller community in Shelbyville and Shelby County. Yeah. But being able to show these Young men and women that have never really seen a bigger world, that have never been outside maybe inner city Indianapolis. I remember taking a group of kids one time up to Westfield and into uh, uh, one of the strip malls where the diamond exchange was and the jewelry <laughs> store. And one of the kids looks at me and says, are we still even in Indianapolis? Wow. You know, when you've never gotten out of your neighborhood, when you've never seen anything else – when you've never been given the opportunity to see a bigger world, that unfortunately is why a lot of our children, our kids grow up thinking, you know, being the bad guy is okay. Those are the ones that are making money in the community. It's not always as cut and dry as, as we think. When you don't understand something, when you've never seen a positive relationship, how can you have one? When you've never seen someone go to work every day, be steady and regular, how do you understand going to work? When you've never been shown that there are so many different opportunities. You know, we've got now with a couple of the continuing adult education programs with Ivy Tech, Blue River Career Center, different places, we're able to show young men and women different classes that they really would enjoy. We just put th four of them through an OSHA certification that they got two different certifications, one in uh, workplace safety and one in industrial equipment safety. Gives them all four of them. None of them ever thought about having any certifications, right. and especially an OSHA certification. Now all four of them are at a premium, and we're putting them out to work because they actually give even more benefits to their job, and the job is willing to train them on what they need out of the person. Hmm. You know, so many places really, uh, they expect you to know what you're doing when you walk in the door. Right. Uh, that's what we try and do with Rupert's Kids is get you to the point where you can walk in the door and take instruction and take direction. But it does take opening that world up and showing them that there are a lot more things out there than just the few things you've seen. So you started in Indianapolis. Right. And you now work out of Shelbyville. 
you know, you went from an urban population to a rural population. Right. I mean, what are the differences and similarities between working in an inner city environment and a rural environment? You know, it's amazing. And our social worker, my social worker and I were just talking about that, how much difference there is in the inner city as opposed to a rural community. We're still we're still dealing with the poor, the uneducated, the 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 lost souls out there. But it's amazing in the inner city, they've been able to create a little more of a network where they work together. Hmm. When you're out in the rural communities, I've never seen a community that says they have no homeless, but then you go to every bridge and there's people living under the bridge. Really? Um, in a rural setting, there is not as much of a support system, even in that uh bottom segment of our society that that you know that that poor uneducated in the inner city bond together in the rural communities they're all separated they have not been able to get together i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing it's just the the way the differences that i've seen between the rural and the urban does that isolation make things more difficult when you're trying to gel a team to work on these shared projects boy i will say the the rural setting, uh, that that alone feeling, that lost feeling is so much more prevalent in the young men and women out in, like I say, Shelbyville. Mm. Um, when you're starting to put them together, there is a lot more hesitation in the work program. You have to deal with a lot more of the interpersonal relationships that conflict resolution that they've never they've never really done it's always just been a fight right now we show that adults do not throw punches adults use their words adults work together um inner city even the poor and the uneducated have realized that the rural community is still a very violent community how bad is the opioid crisis in the area that you're working in? You know, we never really thought it was outside the inner cities. Um, we are seeing now there are people coming from the inner cities to the rural communities to bring it back to the cities. Hmm. There is more drugs drug addiction, drug production out in the middle of the country than we ever realized before. I'm dealing in Shelbyville and Shelby County right now. We're in Shelbyville because so much of the adult population was addicted to alcohol or drugs. 68% of the population or so was below the poverty line. 30, 40% of the population had a third grade or less education. Hmm. That's a really, really hard environment to overcome. The drug production in the county areas has created a lot of revenue for people that did not have it before. Yeah. I see, honestly, the drug manufacturing happening in the country way more than I see it happening in the city. Really? Yes. Hmm. So let's talk about the shift to Shelbyville. Uh, you're listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle, talking to Rupert Bonham from Rupert's Kids. And uh, as I mentioned, you started in Indianapolis. You were headquartered up on the north side. And, right. 
and a few years you decided to go to Shelbyville, right. um, work in a totally different location. What was the impetus for that change? Why did you make that change? And what have you found and been doing since you've been there? You know, for years back, I started 29 years ago creating the empowerment program, teaching young men and women. When I saw it leaving these schools, I said, we need to create it in our private sector. Hmm. Within a year, I realized one of the biggest problems is housing. So 28 years ago, we started dealing with housing and trying to create housing for our program. Right. Almost two decades in Marion County, working inner city. I even had one of the abandoned warehouses on Bellevue in Washington. I did not have enough money to pay off the layers of administration. I might have worked with three different administrations in Indianapolis, three different mayoral administrations that all wanted to uh, copy, you know, replicate, duplicate, not join in with our program. Interesting. Uh, We could not get the zoning. I, I did not have enough money, enough influence, enough power to change a warehouse in Indianapolis from <laughs> you commercial the biggest to TV star in America and you won a million dollars. You didn't have enough <laughs> power and influence. That's, that's discouraging, Rupert. <laughs> I know. It broke my heart to move out of, move our main headquarters out of Indianapolis and to a smaller community. Yeah. But I will say, in the four and a half years that we've been in the smaller community, I've been able to acquire the warehouse, change the zoning law, legal above board, and didn't have to pay off anyone, just, you know, follow the letter of the law, went through the hearings, have been able to pay for it out of our own pocket, even pay the back $20,000 in property tax to the community that asked me to come in. This was an abandoned building in downtown Shelbyville? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just okay. off of Shelby, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Um, being able to go with less than five years mm. from start to now beds are completed. Boy, if we would have been able to do that 28 years ago in Marion County, I tell you what, uh, we would not have the problems we do now. We would not have the overcrowding. We would have been running for the last 10, 15 years showing how you can empower somebody. It doesn't take money. It takes caring. Right. So when you say beds and you've you've worked for 28 right. years to get to this point, what exactly are you doing? What is the program that you're working on? So we have, like I say, 28 years ago, we realized if you don't have a safe place to lay your head, if you don't have a solid structure and that peace inside, you're, you're, you're always in turmoil. You're always, you'll never be able to get away from your addictions. Mm. Uh, what we've created is a facility with 12 beds. Uh, every room has a couple beds in it. No one has their own room. But we have that ability to give you uh, the structure to show you how you maintain in a household, how you clean behind yourself, how you have the social respect and the awareness to live in and around others, right. with and around others, how you have, how you are going to be an adult. What we are done, what we have done is taken a, uh, the old Miller Industrial Chemical Plant, retrofitted the warehouse and the 
office space to 12 bedrooms, a community living room, community kitchen, and four full bathrooms. And we've got 24-hour staff and even one of our resident RAs, the house mother. He hates it when they call him the house mother. (laughs) uh, Jeremiah is a sweetheart, and he is one heck of a good guy. Great mom. Uh, (laughs) He is a great mom. Um, He is on call 24-7. He lives there at the house. His whole responsibility is to make sure everybody's okay in the middle of the night. Um, But it is that same way that the gangs have that uh, bonding effect, but we have it for the good. We bond each other together, and with the camaraderie of all of us fighting against the opioids, the alcohol, the the draw of the illegal, we fight for ourselves. We fight for each other. We, to help take care of each other and build that community support and that strength in our house with our group. We've just, like I say, we just cut the ribbon on Friday. I'm just now starting to talk to the different community uh, partners that we have to come in in one night a week, uh, maybe every two weeks starting out. We've got one of the banks in town, First Merchants, that's going to come in and start doing financial literacy, 6 to 7.30, you know, twice a month. We've got one of the churches that has already given a $10,000 donation to us, the Presbyterian Church in Shelbyville, that wants to come in and do a non-denominational just empowerment stories. You know, we all know the, you know, the the David and Goliath story, the, you know, the different Bible stories, the the stories that have meaning behind them and lessons behind them of it counts how you treat yourself and others. So we have just a couple minutes left, but how oh, are how are I know, how are you fun how are you funded? <laughs> I love to say we have spent zero tax dollars putting this together. We, like I said, this project put $20,000 worth of tax dollars back into the system, not taking any out. We are funding this program and going to be able to self-sustain partially from the $100 a week we charge you for your bed. That's your room, uh, your bed, your utilities, your food, your transportation, everything. $100 doesn't pay for even half of that. But uh, besides that, the jobs that we go out and do, we do a Fountain Square cleanup once a month that pays, uh, you know, a few hundred dollars to our guys to go out and we broom and dustpan all the sidewalks, the trail, the streets of Fountain Square. Every Friday, we go out and mow the 35 acres of grass at the Shelby County Fairgrounds. Uh, We're doing a job next week where we're going into a house where the children are, you know, off the chart on lead poisoning. We're gutting the house out, taking all the lead. We are the only uh, painting crew in Shelbyville that is lead certified. I've got three of my guys lead certified. We're going in there, gutting the place out. Putting all new insulation in, putting all new drywall in, fixing it up. Now, we're only doing it for a few thousand dollars, but most of the materials are donated. Most of our labor are just our guys at minimum wage. That pays them enough to pay for their beds and still makes Rupert's kids some money and helps out some young men. That's we fund by self-funding. We don't hold our hand out. We pull that hand back and take care of ourselves and show the product is the lives we save. So would it be fair to summarize that you're doing zero cost to the city economic redevelopment, 
with a population that is now adding to the tax rolls instead of drawing from it while reducing recidivism in the community and, and doing other community projects? I mean, that sounds pretty incredible. Uh, there is even more included in there with the county and senior services where people are going in. Uh, we're going into houses and helping them get their life back together, clean their house up, take care of their house. We are taking things in the community that have only cost us money, the detention center, the lack of uh, 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 ability to collect the taxes. The We are taking things that have cost the community and showing how you can make money off that, how you can change those situations so the city's not spending money on it. We're actually saving our tax dollars. You and I both know the libertarians have said for years, <laughs> if we stand up, we can take care of ourselves if we, the government would just get out of our way. What I'm trying to do is show in with our program of Rupert's Kids, really, it doesn't take the tax dollars to change the lives of these people. It takes the ability to grab a hold of them and work with them without the restrictions that are put on them in the system now. And put them back to work. I know we're out of time. Uh, we're out it. of time. But uh, I, where can people find out more information? How can they donate? How can they get involved? Rupert'sKids.org. Get on that website. Get on Facebook. Rupert's Kids. Hit that donate button. We love to see it. Or come on out to our place in Shelbyville, 24 West Broadway. I'm there every day. Thank you for listening to Now Hear This. I've been your host, Chris Spangle. And if you work with an organization that you'd like featured on the program, give us a call and ask for Gabby at 317-475-7407. Again, that's 317-475-7407. Rupert, thanks so much for being on the program today. Oh, you're very welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. You're a great guy. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Now Hear This.